Well, what's up, Multiply Lake Norman? How we doing today? Yeah? Yeah, listen, y'all gonna have to do better than that because uh, it might be weird for y'all, like sitting in a circle, it's really weird for me standing up here. So I'm gonna need y'all to talk to me, I need y'all to make some noise. I feel like a goldfish right now. Like, <laughs> this is miserable. <laughs> Anybody been to Atlanta Aquarium? Been to the big aquarium and you see like the whale shark swimming around? I didn't plan on saying any of this, but this is how I feel right now. <laughs> Anybody wanna come up here with me? Nobody? Losers. <laughs> Let me, let me kind of hit a few things that, that's going on in, in church. I mean, you heard one of them this morning, but, but can I remind us that our church is alive and it's growing, that God is on the move in our church. That's something you can get excited about. I got that, got that text message, got those phone calls from the Rochelles, and, I mean, it's always, it's always an honor to baptize people. And, and this, is, this is how I feel. I mean, we don't have to have some big event just to baptize someone. So when Brittany called me and she was like, hey, Anna wants to get baptized, I was like, let's do it tonight. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, boy, I'm in Hickory doing a wedding rehearsal. And if you guys remember Michael and Courtney, who are part of the church, man, we had the opportunity to be at their wedding yesterday, and I got to officiate their wedding. And, and man, there's just excitement happening in the church. There's just excitement happening. And, and so we have these things called family days. And family days is a time that we like to celebrate what's going on uh, in the church. So our next family day is December the 5th. December the 5th. Go ahead and take your phones out. Put it on your calendar. Write it down if you're taking notes. I appreciate you taking notes. You were a good student, weren't you? you, were, you were you like a straight-A student? Kind of, pretty much. Yeah, it's because you took notes. Some of y'all wonder why y'all aren't hearing from God. It's because y'all aren't taking notes and reading them during the week. I'm just kidding. Uh, but seriously, take notes. So December the 5th, we have our family day. What, go ahead and take a look at the screen. If, you, if you're facing me, you can see the one on the other TV screen. But, man, we have all kinds of stuff going on. We have the inflatables for the kids. It's going to be a little colder, so we have some fire pits. We're make, making some s'mores. I'm excited about s'mores. Uh, I don't know if – does anybody put Reese's on their s'mores? You heard from God. The people that are still – the people that are just doing Hershey, like the Hershey squares, you're still in the Old Testament or something. Like, I don't – there's a New Testament. It's called Reese's Cups on a s'more. Uh, we also have the bull coming back, so some of you need some redemption at the bull. Some of you, Zach Brock, you were scared to get on the bull, so you got to get on it this time. But, uh, man, we're, we're going to have fun, so make sure you uh, bring people to family day. This is what we say at our church. We're not inviters, okay? We don't just invite people to church. Inviting someone is easy. Inviting someone actually gives you an out. In inviting someone allows you to say, well, I invited them. They just didn't show up. But bringing someone puts the ownership back on you. Br bringing someone is saying, I'm going to call them Sunday morning, and I'm going to make sure they're awake. Bringing someone is saying, you know what, if you don't show up, I'm going to come to your house, and I'm going to pick you up. So let's be bringers of people to the church. Amen? <laughs> that really got put back on y'all. You're like, I don't want to say amen, because that, that means I have to do it. Hey, so this past, uh, this past series, if you see on the screens, we've been in our series, Freedom from Fear. Freedom from Fear. I want to kick off week three. Um, listen, if you haven't been here the past couple weeks, let me catch you up. So week one, we talked about um, living, free, living in freedom from fear in the Midianite spirit. Hey, time out. This is where I get to do what I want to because I have the microphone. Damon, could you get me a handheld mic just in case I need it? Because this one's giving me some, some troubles today. I cut my mullet 
my wife was mad, and now the, the microphone isn't sticking on the mold. So just in case I need it, I might come get it here in a second. But week one, living in freedom from the Midianite spirit. And what we talked about was that the Midianite spirit was actually a spirit of oppressive fear. So, so what, what did we see? We see that the Midianite spirit is more than fleeting uh, feelings of fear. It's a climate of fear that oppresses entire cultures and keeps the people of God from living in freedom. So when we looked at the, the scriptures, what we found is the Israelites were actually hiding out in caves. You guys remember two weeks ago that, that the Israelites were in places of mental darkness. How, how many of you know that the enemy likes to attack you in places of mental darkness? The, the enemy uh, likes, to, likes to attack you between your ears. The enemy likes to attack you where no one else can see what's going on. See, I think a lot of times in life, the reason that we never get past our fear is that we never get outside of our mental caves. And then last week, we talked about coming out of the wine press. And we saw Gideon in the wine press, and the wine press uh, represent places of feeling inadequate. That the enemy attacks your emotions in the wine press. Remember, the wine press, what we saw was uh, we, we told ourselves things like, you're not good enough. We told ourselves things like, you don't have the right pedigree. We told ourselves things like, your past is just too dark. Here's the good news. All of that is nonsense. Here's the good news that you're not defined by your past. You're defined by who God calls you. We're not cave people, we're not wine press people, we're promised land people. And we have to remember that God didn't deliver the Israelites from Egypt just so they could live in this oppressive fear from the Midianites. So what does all that mean? That means that you and I are people of freedom. But before we go into week three, I have to start off by asking a few direct questions. Let me ask you this. Do you want to just stay on the surface level when it comes to your relationship with God? Do you just want to stay on the surface level when it comes to talking about fear? Or, or do you truly want to pull everything up by the root? Because the more I read, it's easy to stay on the surface level. See, I can give you all the platitudes you want. I can give you all the Instagram material that you want. I can give you all the tweetable material that you want. And you know what that material is. It's the material that you see on Instagram. You're like, oh, that's good. And you give like the little fire emoji. And you're like, oh, I'll repost that because I need it. That's a good word, pastor. I, I can give you all of that. But, but too often as the church, we stay on this social media platform. And we just live by the snippets that we see other people repost. We just live by one scripture. We just live by one word that the pastor says opposed to getting to the root of the issues. So if we're going to go deep, we have to pull out the root. Too often in churches, we don't do it. Too often in churches, go ahead and give me that mic. Too, too often in churches, Boom, 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 boom. Here's what's funny. Yesterday when I was doing, um, yeah, go ahead and pull that for me. Yesterday when I was doing the wedding, uh, the microphone that I was using, can you unplug me? Can y'all give him a hand? Just pull it. Good job, Patrick. I don't like using these things. Yesterday when I was doing the wedding, uh, what's funny is my microphone went out. I guess I'm just having bad luck with, with handheld microphones. But so, so let, me, let, me, uh, let me pick up here. So 
Today I want to talk about living in freedom, destroying the root of fear. Y'all ready to get after it? Here we go. Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Let me read it to you. How do you destroy the root of fear? That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. See, it's really interesting to me that God doesn't even bring up the Midianites. See, remember the story. What are the Israelites fearing? They're fearing the Midianites. But God says to get over your fear, he doesn't even mention the Midianites. He mentions this thing called Baal, and he mentions this thing called Asherah. So let me break that down just a little bit for you. His instructions are to tear down these altars. What does the altar of Baal actually represent? If we go back through scripture, the altar of Baal represents idolatry. Anything that you put before God. I know, Josh, you, you kind of mentioned this a little bit, and you talked about tithe, and you talked about money. See, oftentimes I think we, we sit in a church and we say, you know what, I have a healthy relationship with money. I, I'm okay. I, can, I can give a, a little bit, but I, I can't give like the whole 10%. And what we're actually doing is we're saying, you know what, I still need some security because as long as I have the security, then, then it makes me feel good about myself and about my situation. What we've done is we've turned that money into an idol. Hey, what about houses and land? What about your own family? What about your job? What about your ministry? What about sports teams? When there was a season of, in my life, I was like, I'm not going to church because there's a ball game on. I wasn't a pastor at the time, so I didn't feel guilty about it. What about your, what about your kids? See, if I'm not, if I'm not careful, I, Zach Witt, if I'm not careful, I can put my kids and my wife before God. I mean, I had to commit early on. I, I, hear me now. I love my family. I love my girls. I, I, love, I love my wife. But God has to be the first thing in my life. If God's not the first thing in my life, then what I've actually done is place something else above God, and that's become an idol in my life. And then you have Asherah. What does Asherah represent in the context of Scripture? It actually represents sexual immorality. Pastor, we go in there? Yep, I'm not scared to preach on anything. Let, let me read this to you. Once culture builds idols to Baal, sexual immorality moves in next door. Things that used to be shameful are broadcast on television and primetime government entertainment and the business world begins to worship at the altar of Asherah, removing any kind of biblical boundaries on sexual expression and condemning those ideologies as archaic, judgmental, and oppressive. Even in the church, even in the church, the church has excuses that are made up to explain away scripture and teach how Yahweh can coexist with Asherah. See, what we're hearing in the modern church is this, God is loving. What we're hearing in the modern church is, is that God is merciful and gracious. He absolutely is, but he's also just. Scripture says that he's also jealous. Scripture says that he will not and cannot coexist. It's in mainstream news this week in Virginia. We read this headline. It, it, blew, it absolutely blew me away. This is a real headline in Virginia. The headline reads, Skirt-wearing male student rapes 15-year-old girl in school bathroom. It's Asherah. I'm not, I'm not making this stuff up. It's what we're seeing in society. And what God called Gideon to do was to tear down the altars of his fathers. What, what did we experience in the 60s? Let me, some of y'all are like, I don't know because I was born then and I was living then and I don't want to say what we experienced. 
You're like, I know what was going on, but I don't want to talk about it. Let me tell you what was happening in the 60s. A generation tossed away God's standards of morality and brought about a sexual revolution. I'm not, I'm not making this up. We can go back and, and look at history. But here's the reality. Each successive generation has taken it a step further. So it's not just one generation to blame. We're all to blame, myself included. But now God is calling sons and daughters to tear down the altars built by fathers and mothers. Why? Because God cannot coexist with Baal. God cannot coexist with Asherah. And to defeat the Midianite spirit, to get to the root of fear, we have to defeat and tear down the prophets of Baal and Asherah in our society. I jotted this down when I was studying this week. Unless the altars of Baal and Asherah are torn down, the Midianite spirit will continue to permeate our culture and depress our society. Idolatry and sexual immorality allow the spirit of fear to take root and settle in the land. We have to pull things up by the root. So for a moment, to get a little awkward, to get a little uncomfortable, man, can just where you are, I'm not telling you to raise your hand or lift your voice or anything like that, but could we just repent as a church for the idols that we've placed in our life? Man, can we repent as a church for the sexual immorality that's been in our lives? Because until we can get real with ourselves, uh, until we can call a spade a spade, we can never move past the root of fear. See, see, what we try to do oftentimes is we try to combat fear. Well, I don't, I don't want to be fearful. I'm just going to pray a little longer. And I'm just going to pray a little harder. And I'm just going to pray a little deeper. But God says, listen, I've given you the roadmap. I, I'm telling you what you need to tear down in your life. I'm telling you, I'm telling you what you need to pull up in your life. At the beginning of the summer, uh, I was trying to plant some grass. I'm, I'm new to this grass growing thing, right? Like evidently you grow grass in the fall. Like you plant stuff in the fall and it grows. You don't try to plant it at the beginning of the summer because it doesn't grow. But you know what does grow in summer? It's weeds. And weeds will grow and grow and grow. And God, I don't know why you made crab grass, but that junk is ridiculous. So at the beginning of the summer, man, I was, I was committed. I was committed to getting all like the weeds and the crab grass out of our mulch. And, and I went outside, and, and I had my gloves, and, and I was like, no, real men don't use gloves. So I took my gloves off. <laughs> Dumb. Uh, but I started pulling up the weeds in this crabgrass. And for the first 30, 45 minutes, man, I was, I was diligent. I was getting every single root. I was digging every single root out of the ground. I was pulling with everything that I had. And then my lower back started hurting. Then my legs started hurting. And I have red hair, so I don't do well in the sun. So then I started burning a little bit. So as I was making my way through the mulch, to be honest with you, I got lazy. And I just started grabbing and pulling, grabbing and pulling, grabbing and pulling. But I felt good about myself because I had a bag full of weeds. I had a bag full of, of junk that I needed to get out of the mulch. But two weeks later, you know what happened. What I didn't pull from the root started growing back. And I think that's the way we act in our society. We start out diligent. We start out having a service saying, God, I hear you. God, I see you. I'm going to pull it up. I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to get it out of my life. The first day goes by, you're still pulling. Second day goes by, you're still pulling. 
A week goes by, I mean, you're diligent, but a month goes by, and man, this is, this is tough. A month goes by, and this is difficult. Six months goes by, and I just need to get to the end. A year goes by, and man, I've got enough in my bag to make me feel good about myself. I've cleaned out enough junk in my life, but inevitably what happens? It pops back up. And you wonder, Zach Witt, I, I wonder why there are things in my life that I just can't get rid of. It's because I haven't torn down the altars of Baal. It's because I haven't torn down the Asherah pole. I can't get over fear in my life if I still have things that are growing. So how do you identify and tear down a stronghold? A stronghold is something that keeps oppressing you. A stronghold is something that has affected the generations. A stronghold is something that keeps you in your mental caves. Hear this. A stronghold is something you feel like you can't tell anyone else about because they'll judge you. See, we have things in our life that we wish we could, we wish we could tell people about it. We wish we could tell people about the skeletons in our closet. We wish we could actually be a church that says, hey, you know what? You, you can confide in me and then I can confide in you. But for some reason, what we do is we sit back in society and say, no, 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 no. I can't tell them about those skeletons. I can't tell them about those things in my closet. Because if I tell them about that, then they'll start to judge me. If I tell them about that, then they'll have some ammo against me. If I tell them about that, they'll see me for who I really am. And we ask ourselves, why do I keep struggling with this? Why does this keep pulling me back into the cave? Remember, the cave represents darkness. The cave represents mental darkness. Why is this making me feel completely inadequate and unqualified to serve in ministry or even follow Jesus? So now that we've identified them, how do you actually tear down a stronghold? How do you truly pull it up by the root? Let me read Judges chapter 6, 20, verse 25. That night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the asher that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Let me hit a few of these things. The first thing that you need to do to tear down a stronghold is you follow the bloodline. Follow the bloodline. Verse 25, that night the Lord said, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has. Follow the bloodline and repent and plead the blood of Jesus. Number two is this. You tear down the altars as much as possible, physically removing anything associated with the stronghold. Scripture says that they tore down the altar of Baal. They tore down the Asherah. See, I, I think you and I know what we need to do in life. I mean, we, we know there's numbers in our phone that we need to delete. We know there's people on social media that we follow that we don't need to follow. We, we know there's conversations at work that we have because we want to feel like we're in the in crowd. And we, we know we don't need to have them. We know we don't need to associate with things. But, but what happens is when we don't hear from the people that we know we shouldn't associate with for a while, we text them. Hey, what's up? What you doing tonight? Hey, where y'all going Friday night? Hey, where, you, where you going Saturday? Or the person that we shouldn't follow on social media. We, we wonder what's going on in their life. We haven't seen a story come across our Instagram screen. So what do we do? We search their name even though we've unfollowed them. Hey, what are they up to? Hey, hey let, let me see what they're Let me reach out to them. Instead of completely tearing it down. 
But the third thing you have to do is build an altar on top of the stronghold, anoint it with oil, and invite the presence of the Lord there. Verse 26 says this, And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. See, if we don't do this step, if we don't build an altar to the Lord, if we don't commit our lives to the Lord, we'll feel like we lost everything that was familiar. See, that's, that's why we don't want to delete stuff. That's why we don't want to remove people from our life. That, that's why we don't want to remove the things that we do from our life because we'll feel empty and we'll feel void. And I'm here to tell you, you absolutely will feel empty and you will feel a void. But that emptiness and that void should be filled with the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. See, too often we don't rebuild the altar to the Lord. We just tear everything down. And I think the reason that so many people fall back into fear is, be, is because they don't complete the task. God, I should be over this by now. God, I, I shouldn't have this fear in my life. And God's saying, you're absolutely right. Build the altar to me. Commit your life to me. Don't just try to get rid of the situation. Don't just try to get rid of the circumstance. But build the altar to me. Now, I have to be completely honest with you because we have to finish the story. What can you expect when you tear down strongholds? The first thing that you can expect is this. And I think I can get an amen from everybody. Not everyone is going to like it. Not everyone's going to like it. Verse 30 says this, The people of the town demanded of Joash, Bring out your son. He must die because he has broken Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. See, you're going to be so excited of your newfound freedom. But not everyone close to you is going to like it. Because they liked you chained up. And you'll eventually start hearing some things like this. Well, I don't want to hang out with you anymore because you're just not as fun as you used to be. I, I, don't, I don't want to hang out with you anymore because you just seem too good for us now. Can, can I tell you that if people are saying that to you, then you're probably on the right path? The second thing that you'll notice is it, it may stir up some stuff. Verse 33. Now the Midianites, the Amalekites... I love this. And other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. See, other people aren't going to like it. And if other people aren't going to like it, I guarantee you that the devil isn't going to like it. And what the, the, the devil's going to try to do is he's going to try to flex on you a little bit. What the devil's going to try to do is he's going to try to beef himself up and he's going to try to act bigger and badder and stronger than he really is. Because what I love about this story is the Israelites thought they were just dealing with the Midianites. The Israelites thought they had one thing to deal with. You ever been there in your life? I, if I could just get rid of this one thing in my life, everything else will be better. And, and you pull that one thing up by the root, and then what happens? Like, man, it kind of illuminated something else. Man, I, I used to have I used to have jealousy in my life, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up jealousy by the root, and, and then and then when you pull that up. Greed was illuminated a little bit. You're like, oh man, I, I gotta deal, I gotta deal with that too. So what the Israelites, this is what scripture says that the, that the Israelites had to deal with the Midianites, and then they had to deal with the Amalekites, and I love this, and some other group that they didn't even know about. Some of us have some stuff in our life that we don't even know about. Some of us have some stuff in our life that we have to pull up, that we have to get rid of, that we don't even know about. But don't sweat it. It's just proof that you're gaining victory and doing the right thing. 
third thing is this, you'll experience a new power. The beginning of verse 34 says this, Judges chapter 6, verse 34. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet. He blew a trumpet. Why, why is this so important? Remember the past two weeks, these mighty warriors, these men that were ready for battle, they were hiding in caves. And then last week we talked about Gideon. He took one step and, and he was at least out of the cave. But where did we find him? We found him in the bottom of a wine press. See, see what I know is that Gideon went from a cave to a wine press to sneaking around at night to sounding a trumpet. See, in the cave he wouldn't sound the trumpet. In the bottom of the wine press he wouldn't sound the trumpet. But when we sound the trumpet, Scripture says this, people will, be, will begin to rally. Picking up at the back half of verse 34. And he blew the trumpet, summoning everyone to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they went up to meet him. Listen, this is what I know. When other people see you walking in freedom, it will raise their faith and give them courage to step out of their cave. Last week, Last week we talked about one step. And I wanted, I wanted to give Gideon a hard time. I, I wanted to make fun of Gideon. I wanted to say, hey Gideon, don't you know God is on your side? But then last week we were reminded at least he took one step. Man, at least he wasn't in a cave. At least he took one step. At least some of you have taken one step. Hey, maybe your one step was showing up to church today. Maybe your one step was lifting your hands in worship. Maybe your one step was when you got up out of bed this morning, you say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand what I'm going through. I don't understand why I have all this fear in my life, but I'm at least going to go to church. Maybe, just maybe you'll show up. I'm going to take one step. The one step is good, but man, this week... This week, I want to focus on what Gideon did after the one step. He sounded the trumpet. He sounded the trumpet. What, what, what does sounding the trumpet actually do? Sounding the trumpet puts the enemy on notice. Sounding the trumpet says, you know what? I'm not in the cave. Sounding the trumpet says, I'm not in the wine press. Sounding the trumpet says, I'm going to step on to the battlefield. See, the book of Revelation, several, several horns and several trumpets are blown to put the enemy on notice about what's going to happen. And in battles, a horn was blown for a few reasons. The, the first reason a horn was blown in battle was to warn individuals that war is coming. To warn individuals that, that war is coming. So, so Gideon's blowing this trumpet. He's blowing this horn. And he's saying, hey, hey, everyone around me, I just want you to recognize war is coming. See, Zach Witt's blowing a, a horn this morning. Zach Witt's blowing a trumpet this morning. And I'm doing that for two reasons. The first reason is this. I'm letting you know. I'm letting you know that war is coming. Uh, Sam, I'm letting you know that war is coming. Matt, Matt, I'm letting you know. I'm letting you know that war is coming. Josh, I'm letting you know that war is coming. Nick, I'm, let, I'm letting you know. Brittany, I'm letting you, babe, I'm letting you know war, war is coming. 
Chloe, I'm letting you know, Robert, I'm letting you know war is coming. See, see, I can blow the horn and I can tell you that war is coming. But more importantly, when the horn was blown, it was to call individuals to that battle. It wasn't to warn you so you could run. It was to warn you so you could step on the battlefield. It was to warn you so, so maybe you would get in the fight. It was to warn you the enemy's coming. But guess what? Guess what? Step into, step into the battle. See, in war, the battle horn would blow, followed by a saying something like this, into the fray. See, fear causes us to hide in caves. Fear causes you to hide in the wine press. But the blowing of a horn tells the enemy that I'm taking back my freedom. And it tells the enemy that I'm taking back my life. Church, this is how we fight our battles. This is how we tear down the Asherah pole. This is how we tear down the prophets of Baal, the altars of Baal. This is how we pull out the roots of fear. All across this room, can I encourage someone to come out of the cave? Can I encourage someone to come out of the wine press? Can I encourage someone and remind you that we're tearing down the altars of Baal, that we're tearing down the Asherah pole? Church, in this moment, as we step into worship, as the team leads us, we're tearing down the altar. 